I watched Imprint, and it ruined me. And I watched Enola Holmes. I don't want to see an ordinary film. I want to see something extraordinary. Your sacrifice completes my sanctuary of 1,000 testicles. You ever feel as if your mind had started to erode? Welcome to 1,000 Wives of Weird, the podcast where we discuss everything weird, but mostly just movies and episodes of TV shows, I guess. My name is Billy Martell, and with me, as always, is my co-host... Brad Hefner. And today we are talking about an episode of the short-lived anthology horror series, Masters of Horror. It went two seasons, what, 24, 26 episodes? Mm, yeah, about, I think so. I mean... It lived its life. It lived its life. It 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 lived out its usefulness. Actually, it definitely outlived its usefulness. Yeah. Yeah, an episode of Masters of Horror directed by famed Japanese director Takashi Miki Mike? Mike? Takashi Miki. Takashi Miki. Imprint. This was a, a last minute uh, replacement yes, we for were. a subject. We were originally gonna talk about a, a a 1930s movie called Maniac, and I just happened to watch this because I've been working my way through Masters of Horror very slowly, and I happened to see this over the weekend a while ago, and it just uh, traumatized me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You uh, you messaged me. Yeah, and you were <laughs> very upset. I was very upset. I was I was I was beside myself. I I, I made the mistake because I was like, "Ooh, this will be fun." This guy's supposed to direct movies that are really gross, and in my hubris, I was like, gross, I know how to deal with that. I've seen Violence Voyager. And so I, I turn on <laughs> I turn on the episode, I have all the lights off, and I'm watching it uh, all by myself, and uh, yeah, it fucked me up. Yeah. Now, I had seen this previously. I had gone through Massive Horror way back when. Yeah. And apparently it had no effect on me at the time. <laughs> because I was like, when you when you told me, I was like, yeah, I remember it being something. Well, yeah, again... Look, I, all I could remember, and this mm -hmm. ended up being a false memory, yeah. was just like, there's something to do with nipple torture. So nipples got tortured. <laughs> and it was like, and that's not in there. Which, given this director's work and what I understand of his uh, sort of legacy... Nipple torture not outside of the realm of possibility. It happens in Ichi the Killer. It does, okay. One of his over 100 films. Oh, really? He's, uh, some of his most famous stuff is, his most famous is probably Audition. That's the one I've heard about the which most. Which I have not seen. Okay. That's a pretty big blind spot for me. Sure. A film we'll probably talk about at some point, Gozu. Okay. And uh, a great samurai action movie, 13 Assassins. Ooh, sounds awesome. Which has CGI blood, but uh, other than that, fucking... It's one of those... It's sort of like Seven Samurai, Magnificent Seven sort okay. of thing, where it's like, first half is all that build-up, and then right. the last half is just a gigantic battle. Great. It's fucking amazing. And the Phoenix Wright movie. Here's how Takashi Miike mm -hmm. has directed over 100 films. Okay. He just says yes to anything. He just says yes to anything. He, like, he does his own stuff, obviously. Right. But if you come to him and was like, hey, I... This is chicken noodle soup. Make <laughs> a movie. Uh, here's here's um, a million yen. Right. Uh, which is probably not that much for... I, I don't know. 
It's about ten thousand dollars. Oh, okay. So yeah. very extremely low. extremely low budget. He would probably say for this fucking for this chicken can. noodle movie. I mean, just for his pay. Okay, but that still seems very low. It seems extremely low. Uh, hopefully, he would say, "Just get the fuck out of here with your goddamn suit." I, I hope he has enough <laughs> judgment for that. But again, maybe it's just like maybe he just likes you know, making movies. It's I'm sure he does. Like, like Nicolas Cage and that old you, college humor sketch. I like making movies, Gary. If he fucking hated it, he wouldn't have done it over a hundred <laughs> times. Like, He's oh. like, oh god, this again. Motherfucker. Oh, I gotta turn on the cameras. It's like, I was, it's an ancient curse. I have to make movies. Fuck, I made... I, I made Imprint, and they're still making me make movies. Imprint, by the way, not something that only fucked with me. This is an episode... This was the last episode of the season of Masters of Horror. Of the first season. Of the first season. Uh, Mick Garris, the creator of Masters of Horror, and probably the least talented person associated with it. What is it Mick Garris known for? Uh, some Stephen King miniseries. Oh, some, um, and he he he's a big fan of other horror people. Okay. He also made the show Masters of Science Fiction, which had no Masters of Science Fiction involved with it. It didn't have Ray Bradbury, Grandmaster of Science Fiction. It did not have Ray Bradbury, Grandmaster of Science Fiction. No. Billy, imagine for a moment. What if Jack o' Lanterns? Uh huh. Had bodies. <laughs> or my favorite Ray Bradbury story, the day where an old man's dick stands up for the first time in years and he invites all of his friends to come over and look at it. Oh, yeah? That's a real story that he wrote. Now, see, uh, when Ham did that in the Bible, <laughs> that didn't go so well. It didn't go so well for Ham? No. Ah, well. He got cast out. That was Ham, right? I don't remember. It's been a while. You're the Christian. I am the Christian, so there's really no... Excuse, but no. Do you know I don't if the remember. food was named after Ham? Did he like? Was he the first one to kill a pig? <laughs> well, wasn't was was Ham Jewish? Was Ham one of the Jews? So I think. I mean, this was before Abraham. Yeah, so. he's an Old Testament character, so I think yeah. he was one of the Jews, and so that would. But it might have been before the Ten Commandments, so they might not have had that rule about Ham yet. So. Gotcha. That would have been super ironic, though, if you if Ham was named after a Jewish guy. I mean, yeah, I guess. I would see it as just another wonderful contribution the Jewish people have made to history and sure. science and sure. food. Here, we made this salty meat that we can't eat. Have at it, the rest of people. Uh, put a pineapple on top. Put a pineapple on it and give it to the Italians. See what they do with it. Uh, and Ham's people at weddings, they, uh, they crushed a pineapple instead of a glass. <laughs> And then put that on the pig. Ham, uh, the Ham's people had very strong feet. Yeah. Very strong legs. So, yeah. Uh, they constantly wore those, like, uh, moon bounce shoes. That's another reason they were, he was cast out. He looked at Noah's dick and everyone, like, all Ham's, like, <laughs> family was just, like, bouncing around. Oh, scared, my like, God. Now I remember the story. Okay. But anyway, um... Mick Garris asked uh, Takashi Miike to come over and do this episode because he had seen some of his other stuff and he thought he was a real uh, punk filmmaker, someone who was really driving people and critics up the wall with how terrifying and gross his shit was. He thought he was a real... a real uh, uh, Master guess, of horror. A real master of horror. And so he said, hey, make 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 an episode, and, and Takashi Miike was like, sure, I like making movies! And he made this thing, and... 
He showed it to Mick Garris, and Mick Garris was like, oh, we got to edit this down. <laughs> Holy shit. And they edited it down a little bit, and then they showed it to Showtime, and Showtime was like, no, no, n- absolutely not. And it was never aired in America. It was it was released on the DVD, and the UK took one look at it and said, hey, it's not the Ninja Turtles, and aired it anyway. But America has never seen fit to air this episode. Which I... <laughs> As someone who has made things uh, that other people have not reacted well to, <laughs> I can only imagine Takashi Miike like showing it to Mick Garris, like yeah. obviously, like yeah, this is pretty great, isn't it? And Mick Garris is like, "What the fuck did you do?" <laughs> and then like Mick Garris is start sweating bullets, but right. Miike still just like, "This is fucking we're." We're taking it to Showtime, baby! <laughs> and Mick Garris is like, I'm sorry about this. And Showtime's just like, what the fuck did you do? Takashi Miike is quoted as saying that he, he, he studied American television in preparation for making this and said, I thought that I had gone right up to the limit of what they would allow, and apparently I miscalculated. <laughs> which is, uh... Which is an... I don't know what, who that says more about, Nikkei or America. I don't know. Because I don't some know what of the this... things we're about to talk about... Oh my god. ...are heinous. Just... Mm. Now, uh... We talk about movies that... this The reason why this was such a last-minute replacement is not just that it traumatized me, but, like, we talk about... One of the things that this show is about is tentpole weird things. Things yes. that move the goalposts for what you are able to accept... When you're watching something, and this is the first time during this thing where a movie not assigned to me by the podcast had moved that goalpost for me. Like, uh, uh, Meet the Hollowheads moved the goalpost for me, but in a very different way than this did. This one, like, I'm not the same person that I was the last time we sat down to record. Because one of the big sequences in imprint is this very long torture sequence jesus christ uh, that's a little bit of a spoiler we'll get, we'll get into more we'll later. get into it yeah but i also probably is fair warning yeah okay yeah actually we should give a like kind of a trigger warning for some absolutely heinous shit yeah in the, when, when we get down to the plot description part of this episode yeah so you had never seen like a torture sequence like that no i can the the closest i can think uh no, I can't think of anything close. Never I never watched any like the Hostels or I I've seen clips of Hostel and the only thing that I remember from it is that clip where the guy's angles had been sawed through and he tried to get up and fell over. Yeah. But like I just looked at that and I was like this looks like a terrible movie. I'm and also it's gross. I'm not going to watch this. The the closest you're going to laugh at me. The closest thing that came to generating this kind of feeling of upset with me uh the last film that that gave me this kind of feeling was jeepers creepers okay and the the main reason that one did is because it's it's not that great of a movie no but the scares and the things that happen happen because it's not that great of a movie without any kind of reason or logic so i never knew what was going to come at me next and after the scene in the cave with all the bodies everywhere 
anything could happen in that movie. Yeah. So I was I was on edge for most of that film, and then afterwards I decided I never wanted to watch that movie again. Because <laughs> like, once you get through it and you look back on the film, you're like, nothing happened. Okay, I'm never watching that shit again. Yeah. But uh, this one was uh, every torture scene that I've ever seen. Like I've o- I've only seen clips of the Saw movies and stuff like mm. that. But even in the Saw movies, either the gore looks so fake that it's not even a, a deal. Like especially in Saw Seven, where all the blood is pink for some reason, everyone bleeds Pepto Bismol. Really? Yeah. Uh, or that's a three D one. That's so they really went all out. That's a style choice in the visual novel series Danganronpa as well. <laughs> I don't think it was a, a choice in Saw Seven. Oh. I think it was a mistake. Gotcha. Uh, but um, even in those movies, it either looks so fake or they cut away at just the right moment. This. And especially like the the movie that are you okay? Your voice is breaking. A I, I I burped a little bit there. Oh, Sorry, no. It wasn't emotion. It wasn't emotion. No, but this this movie, um, just holds on it, and just makes you look. Yes. Uh, and I mm, I almost started describing it again. We have to wait for the spoiler section. The the basic plot of Imprint is a man named Christopher, played by Billy Drago. I never caught his name. I just was calling him Billy Drago. <laughs> because he plays it as Billy Drago. If, see, I, I, I've, I've seen Billy Drago, apparently, in the movie Pale Rider with Clint Eastwood. Oh, okay. But other than that, I am not familiar. familiar with him. I've only seen him in the movie The Un... Well, I've seen him in a couple places, but I'm most familiar with the movie The Untouchables. Yeah, I heard he's a big part of that. He plays a, a psycho killer based very loosely say. based on a real guy. Uh, in the movie, and he is uh, great. Yeah. Giving the exact same performance that he gives an imprint. <laughs> well, that is entertaining as shit. <laughs> Billy Drago is a very one-note actor. <laughs> and his note is, I'm Billy Drago, I'm gonna fall on things, and just sort of like... I'm like Johnny Depp mixed with the real Keith Richards, and my face looks like it was drawn for the Men in Black cartoon. I loved it. I loved it so much. It wasn't good. No, it's terrible. But it was entertaining. Oh yeah, it's like it's like it's like watching a Christopher Walken movie now. You yeah. know what you're getting into. But a man named Christopher yeah. is in Japan, and he goes to a brothel mm-hmm. seeking his his fiance. Sure, Komomo. Komomo. He is told that she's dead. Yes. And he is attended to by a another prostitute or geisha. I'm not sure if she's officially it's, a geisha. It's or... definitely a prostitute, but they they make up the prostitutes to look like geishas. This is uh, definitely after, or not? It's not after the era of the geishas, but these are definitely not official geishas from okay. all I know about geisha culture. I know very little. I just know that this movie is in the Meiji period. He's attended to by another prostitute who is nameless. Yes. With a deformed face. She is credited as woman, I believe. She's credited as woman. Yes. Which is... I think if I were a woman, I would aspire to play a role like that. A Uh, a role named woman? Yeah. (laughs) I am all women. (laughs) I am the archetypical woman. Yes. And she is somewhat disfigured. Yes. Yeah. And she, Christopher demands to know what happened. He needs to know what happened. 
Yes. And she tells him several times with differing results what happened. Yes. It's a little bit of a Rashomon thing. That is the one thing I saw pull up in a review after review, people comparing us to Rashomon. Yeah. Which I have not seen. I've not seen it either, but I know the conceit. Yeah, I know the conceit. The only thing I know about Rashomon is the one Simpsons joke. Have you heard that? <laughs> yes. Where it's, it's like, you loved Rashomon. That's not how I remember it. <laughs> Which is... Yeah. Billy. Yeah. Would you recommend Imprint? I'm having such a hard time with this question. I've been I've been struggling with this question. It's been a week since I first saw it. I rewatched it last night. And unfortunately, I think I have to say yes. I think I hate this. I okay. hate this episode. I hate this movie. It's not bad. That's the problem. It's very, very well made. Oh, yeah. It's so well made. It's not, in my opinion, a good story in in this traditional way that I prefer my horror movies. And mm. I think that a lot of why this scared me as much as it did is similar to the way that Jeepers Creepers scared me. Takashi Miike, when he made this, said that he wanted to make the film equivalent of, and he used a lot of cultural reference points that I'm not familiar with, but what I understand is a, a campfire story. He wanted oh, yeah. to make a campfire horror story. He wanted a story that would work if someone were telling it to their friend after seeing the episode. Because of this, the episode is based around scary things happening. There is no actual internal logic, as far as I can see, to why things are happening in the episode. There are character motivations, sure. But in terms of, like, the mythology of what's happening... Like, if I'm watching a vampire movie, even Martin, there are certain rules about how the character is going to act, what they have to do, when they have to do it, how you kill the guy, you have to use the gold to kill the Cybermen, you know, all that sort of thing. In this movie, there is not, there's nothing like that. And it's not even like another episode of Masters of Horror, Dear Woman, where they make, where that's sort of a tongue-in-cheek joke that there's no rules to the Dear Woman. Yeah. In this, there are just no rules. Shit just happens, and you just kind of have to deal with that. And every kind of human horror and depravity is thrown at the wall to see what sticks. And um, that scares the shit out of me. But it is extremely well done. Yeah. And because of that... And the fact that this is about expanding your horizons and seeing shit that you're uncomfortable with, I kind of have to recommend it. I With a strong asterisk that I am never watching this shit again. That's fine. But the thing is... Yeah. The next time you see something... Yeah. It's going to... You're number now. My, my life is different now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not the same person I was. Yeah, you've yeah. crossed a line for yourself. Yeah. And now... It's just... It's... Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just the look on your face. Um, I, there, this this is one of the moments I wish uh, this was like we had a set or something, so you could just see <laughs> like the thousand yard Billy stare, is, uh, <laughs> head in hand, just sort of uh, hangdog face. Just oh man, I'm I'm. So let let just as last part of my dis, uh, thing, I saved this episode was this episode of the show was recommended to me by my friend Stephen, who we've mentioned a couple of times in the show. 
He is not... I wouldn't say that he described himself as a Takashi Miike fan, but he is interested in Takashi Miike's work, according to him, because he admires him for the audacity of his vision. Uh, which I can't say he's wrong. He's certainly got audacity. So he recommended this episode to me, and then I watched it, and I live Facebook messaged him the entire time I was watching it. So this is the plot description as described by Billy at 2 a.m. watching this episode. Well, that became super upsetting incredibly fast. Jesus Christ. Wait, what? The fup sound effect is hilarious. Oh, this makes me very sad and upset. Holy fucking duck balls. I'm extremely confused now. What the hell was that? And that is the plot description. You are remarkably restrained for how I imagine, like, you... Especially because I was trying to, like, piece it together where I was like, wonder what the... Like, what matched up with what parts. Yes. Um... And I, I just expected more towards the end there. Yeah. In the river. I was... Um, at that point, my phone had dropped from my hand, and I was staring open-mouthed. Gotcha. Like... So I have, a, I have a question. Yeah. This movie didn't just repulse you. It actually frightened you? You were actually scared? Uh... Yeah. I, I would say so. In in And, um... It's not that I was like it's not the kind of scare that I usually get when I watch horror movies like if I if I can put aside my uh, disbelief uh, suspension of disbelief thank you if, if I if I suspend my disbelief enough and I, I I watch a movie where like oh no the monster came out ooh you know like that kind of scared the fun scared yeah and then there was this where I was just watching and I was like this happens to real people yeah. because like aside from some minor supernatural elements at the very end, almost everything that happens in this film happened to real people, and it probably all happened to one person, like, in, yeah. in, in history. Like, this is some Marquet de Sade bullshit uh, in this thing. So, yeah, it, it made me very upset, and I think in a way that the director did intend, uh, so good for him. But, yeah, it was... It, 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 it unnerved me, and I think that that counts in a way of being scared okay yeah I, I just i as we've sort of discussed before i don't really get scared sure much anymore and that's not that's more of like i'm on medicine <laughs> right, just like right. i'm so numb yeah yeah it's more like i used to get real scared when my paranoia was off the charts right of course but now not so much now that's, that's why joke. every october you go off all the meds exactly and just, yeah. like it's october baby <laughs> that's right um, You're a wild man. I fucking <laughs> go hard for Halloween. <laughs> but, but yeah, so what would you say, Brad, about this movie? I would absolutely recommend it, uh, with the caveat that there is torture. It's a fucking, it's a rough chuckle, even aside from the torture. There's some, as we said, real heinous shit. So, if you're unsure, just don't watch it. Yeah. But this is a fucking incredibly made thing, especially compared to other Masters of Horror episodes. We should say I don't know that we've mentioned it yet. Masters of Horror is crap. Yeah, it's not a it's it, not a good anthology program. It's one of the most it's ironically one of the most consistent anthology programs cuz anthologies are usually all over the map in terms yeah. of quality. And this is mostly just bad. This is just very bad. It's like <laughs> the whole the whole way through. The episodes of Masters of Horror that I would recommend are, can be counted on one hand. Yes. 
aside from imprint, are Cigarette Burns, which we will be covering next week. Can't wait for that. And Dear Woman. Yes. And the season two episode, Screw Fly, Screw Fly Solution. Sure. I would add to that um, Dreams in the Witch House uh, as a huge um, Stuart, Gordon. Stuart Gordon fan. That's, that's, that's up there for me. I weekly recommend Fair-Haired Child because it has some performances that I like and it's a fairly basic horror setup. It's, yeah. it's kind of hard to fuck it up. And the very first episode, not because of the plot, but because of a performance from the the, the old man from the Phantasm movies, yeah. gives a comedic performance as a crazy old man locked in the basement in that episode. And it's pretty great to watch because that guy is just entertaining as hell. I'll have to rewatch that. Yeah. I'd also give a weak recommend for Sick Girl. Don't uh, know the is that season two? That's season one. Oh. Lucky McKee's episode with Angela Bettis. I think that's her name. Oh, I don't think I've seen that one yet. The it, insects has to do with bugs. Yeah, I think I skipped I, I skipped from Cigarette Burns right to the last episode and watched Imprint. Gotcha. Because I was the amount of episodes it took me to get to Cigarette Burns I was done. I, yeah. So I was going to watch the last episode that had been recommended to me by anybody, Imprint, and then I was going to probably toss the whole thing. But, um, yeah, so I watched Imprint, and here we are. <laughs> 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 but, uh, but seriously, though, uh, even before we get to the next episode, already recommended for Cigarette Burns. Holy shit. Yeah. Great episode. Uh, and I just figured we'd do that, even though it's not particularly... Yeah, I'd say it's weird. It's weird. It has weird elements. But, like, it's not... It's mostly just, like, a straightforward horror tale with a little bit of a... With a little twisties in it. A little twisties. But it's thematically resonant with the show. It's weird. It's very thematically resonant with with this show. And also, it's weird because it's a good Masters of Horror episode. True. Yeah. (laughs) That was my justification for doing John Wick 2 in the first iteration of this. (laughs) It's a fucking amazing action movie with that <laughs> looks great. Uh, John Wick 2 is legitimately weird. Oh, like, yeah, no, it's fucking... It's this weird it's, it's, opera it's, action movie. It's not at all as weird as Imprint or or uh, fucking Meet the Hollowheads or, or most of the stuff we cover on the show, but it is super weird. Yeah. Also recommended John Wick Chapter 2. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, uh, so... Especially compared to all the other massive horror episodes, I was immediately like, "Wow, this looks great! This looks great." The visual, and, the visuals in this episode, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Like just right off the bat, and just the shot composition, it's like this is truly a dude who has made fucking eighty goddamn movies, yeah, ninety goddamn movies, however many at the time. Who's like, yeah, just let's do this. I know how to make it look good. I know how to set things up. No, it's it legitimately. Uh, there's a lot of masters of horror that. Especially regarding the the level of talent that was involved in Masters of Horror, looks shockingly amateur. Yeah. Uh, but this no, this looks cinematic right out of the gate. Yeah, and it's it's wonderful. And everything, every single fucking scene until the end. And I just realized that, but that yeah. everything has an unreal element to it. There's something that makes it nightmarish, something that makes it dreamlike. Everything, there's not one a scene that has something that's not just a little bit off, at the very least. This is Takashi Miike. You, you, you feel yourself 
this is what every Masters of Horror episode should have been, yeah. in my opinion, is that you feel yourself being taken by the hand by Takashi Miike and brought through what is essentially his House of Horrors. Mm. That's every, Like you said, every frame of the movie has something bizarre to it, something something horrible. Yeah. Um, like... And it's 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 literally being brought through a house of horrors is like and here the zombie pops up and here this thing happens and look children scabs, uh, you you uh, yeah and, and so and right <laughs> I gotta pull up my notes I'm, that's I'm right. floundering well, I'll just finish up my recommendation like and that it's it's wonderful to watch I'm not a big torture dude I'm not into it in movies it doesn't really affect me. I watched mm-hmm. Cannibal Ferox, and that was just fucking boring as shit. <laughs> and it's just, like, I don't seek it out. I, we both enjoy gore. Yes. But we're not, like, torture guys. I am not a torture guy. I'm not at all, but I... And you I, found that out hard. I found that out today. <laughs> but, no, I, I love I love the horror genre, because yeah. it's an out... It's, an out it's, it's a growth off of the side of the fantasy genre and fairy tales and 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 uh stories of good versus evil which is my entire bag so i love horror this <laughs> yeah but it's so that didn't do a lot for me but it didn't bother me too much mm-hmm. so but again if you it's again there's heinous stuff aside from the torture if yeah. you are wary at all don't watch it yeah. If you think you can handle it, it's a fucking good use of an hour. Yeah, it's well made. And now we will get into the spoilers, the in-depth plot summary. But before that... Okay. Billy, yes. I have a new side hustle. You do? Yeah. Okay. I mean, make that money, I guess. I started a brothel. What? <laughs> now, I'm not like regular men, Billy. <laughs> You're not like other guys. I'm not like other guys. I like beautiful women. Uh, good for you. Good for you. To come I'm out part and just of that one percent of society. One <laughs> percent of society. Yeah, that uh, loves beautiful women. You're so you're such a small aspect of society. They won't even include you in the LGBTQ exactly. lettering. I'm, I'm like the hell's angels of sexuality. <laughs> right. Yeah. Of course. But yeah, I started a brothel. Okay. And I figured we're f- we're very good friends. Yeah. You should support my business. I- I'm married. Dude. I understand that. <laughs> and you don't have to. You don't have to have sex with them. You can just you can just talk to them. Oh, okay. So just it's just like a, just, a, ho- a hotel. You're buying time in a. In you don't an even area. take them to a restaurant. Okay. Take them to the opera. Okay. Um, just to support your friend. Right, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I can justify that. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to bring out three of my... I don't know, is it offensive to call them products? <laughs> I think this entire segment is offensive, but go I ahead. I don't think it is. <laughs> Sex work is real work. I support them, and I'm sure. just... I'm just a, I'm just a middleman. Okay, so you're bringing out three of your employees. Yes, three of my employees. Right. Okay. Now, I'm going to tell you up front. Okay. $6,000 an hour. Jesus Christ. Okay. But worth every penny. Okay, here's the first three. Okay. A piping hot bowl of Campbell's Chunky Chicken Noodle Soup. That's not a woman, Brad. I mean, it's an employee. <laughs> $6,000 an hour? Yes. For a 
bowl of chunky chicken noodle soup. Yes. Okay, that's not that. Okay, <laughs> is it okay. even alive? I hope not. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Oh, okay. The, it's a pretty metaphysical question. <laughs> okay, behind door number two, a ten foot tall robot of Lola Bunny from Space Jam. Hi, robot Lola Bunny from Space Jam. Take it to the hole and dominate. Oh, Jesus Christ. That's Holy what she would shit. say if she could talk. But yeah. I'm going to turn her on. And she'll turn you on <laughs> for $6,000 an hour. Holy shit. And behind door number three, what Olympic gold medalist Usain Bolt? <laughs> I'm starting to doubt your claim of how much you love women. Because <laughs> so far, we have a robot rabbit. We have... She's a robot rabbit woman. <laughs> An Olympic running guy yeah and a bowl of chunky chicken noodle soup gender is a spectrum really i think i understand that i think your sexuality might be a little bit broader than you hey, went on at first i'm just saying <laughs> well hold on the statement that i love beautiful women and yeah. the statement that these are three of my employees who are, you're going to have sex with yeah are not connected. But you said that you was you established. Listen, the which one of these ones you want to have sex with? Which one of these ones? You Robot want to Lola Bunny, obviously. Okay. <laughs> All right, where are you? Although I doubt she's going to fit in the opera. Well, <laughs> then operas need to be more accommodating to tall people. I agree. At some point, the tallness becomes a physical disability. <laughs> <laughs> she's a robot. That Tallness was a choice on somebody's part. And she can't duck through fucking doors, so you better be <laughs> prepared to pay some damages, fella. Maybe take her on a picnic. Is she insured? I mean, she hasn't drank any today, but... <laughs> what? Insure is also a drink. Oh. oh, boy. All right. All right. Flash forward to the date. <laughs> Flash forward to the date. Hello, Billy. Do you like basketball? Uh, it's fine. <laughs> I played with Michael Jordan. I, I know. I know you didn't. Lola Bunny played with Michael Jordan. I played. I am Lola Bunny. Oh. I thought you were just a robot duplicate of Lola Bunny. I'm a robot. Yes. <laughs> you didn't know? <laughs> oh my god, she exploded! <laughs> She committed suicide. Oh my god. How many women have you done that to before, Billy? <laughs> I, 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 not, as, not that many as far as I'm aware. Well, you killed one of my whores. <laughs> well, that's where the insurance would have come in. Thankfully, she's a well, robot. Well, I chose to make again. a pun instead of getting insurance, so I guess that's on me. Puns kill. Yes. <laughs> puns kill small businesses every day. If you want to support our initiative to end puns in the workplace... To learn more about puns, visit your local library. <laughs> so, okay, so this story is supposedly based on a story called Boki Kyoti, which Wikipedia says is a traditional Japanese story, but uh, Amazon's trivia page references there being an author of the story who was alive at the time the episode was made and plays the lead torturer oh. in the episode. So, traditional Japanese story, a novel, I don't know. I could not find any other information on the internet about it. I did try. Hmm. The episode starts, obviously, with the Masters of Horror theme song, which 
as bad as the show is, I really do like that theme song. It's fine. It's it's yeah. It's the piece of music is nice. The mm-hmm. visual, the opening, the sequence is whatever. Yeah, it's really bland. It's very much a standard horror anthology opening sequence. I wish it would have had a horror host. Oh, that would have been fun. It could have been an Irish man called Masters O Horror. <laughs> that would have been great. I would have I would have liked there to have been like a little introduction from the director of the week. That would have been cool. Having them like come in through a graveyard or some haunted house or something. Or you could get some cartoon Dracula. Sure, get get a cartoon Dracula, have him voiced by uh, John John Waters. John Waters is Dracula. <laughs> I wish I could do a John Waters impression. Hi, uh, everyone. This is Masters of Horror. Uh, I hope you're all really wet today. I hope your attempt to watch this wasn't aborted. <laughs> By the way, now that we're in the spoilers section, a more specific trigger warning for abortion. Yeah. Lots of it. Lots of abortion. <laughs> Lots of abortion. Um, it, this is what conservatives think abortion is. There's so much abortion. Yeah, this is this is a conservative's nightmare. And uh, more important, more than that, fetuses. The only time I've seen this many fetuses is when I've gone... When I was a kid, I went to a Christian music festival. Yeah. And there was a booth... You were tossing them out to the crowd? No, there was a booth... Firing them out of a t-shirt cannon? <laughs> no. There was a booth set up... Fuck stem cells! ...by very... Uh, militant anti-abortion activists who had set up a, a, a an entire booth full of these fake fetuses that they were handing out to people to say this is what you're killing you know that sort of thing and uh so yeah that moment and this are the only two times i've seen this many dead fetuses hold in, on at the same time they were handing them out like they were giving people fetuses they were giving people fake fetuses. Did you get one? No, of course not. Oh my god, that would have been so fucking cool. That would have been cool in retrospect. At the time, I was creeped out and my parents were getting me out of there as fast as possible. Gotcha. <laughs> they were like, oh look, good music over here. And we, we went and we listened to Petra for a while. I need to look on eBay for those. You need to look for some fake dead fetuses? Yeah. Sure. That's what, you know, kids are getting with all the fucking Fortnites and Minecrafts. <laughs> Kids are getting inured to terror. Yeah. So this is what you do. You just you make haunted houses of just fetuses. <laughs> I mean, if you... I'm sure if you went to... Or maybe uh, I'm making a Binding of Isaac movie. I don't know what that's referenced I know you to. didn't, but if anyone okay. out there listens to this, they'll enjoy I, I was going to say, go to the Death Stranding website. I'm sure they have merch. Oh, yeah. Yeah. These are go. not as cute as Bridge Baby, though. Okay. Bridge Baby's pretty adorable. Cool. Okay, so... <laughs> Uh, this is based on some sort of traditional Japanese story. Uh, we open on a boat full of very, very dirty Japanese people. They're just covered in shit. Um, they are in a little boat heading for this brothel that's on an island out in the middle of nowhere. And Billy Drago is there wearing a top hat and lounging around at his most Billy drago ness Looking like... And I'm going to make an assumption. Okay. Looking like a Tom Baker era Doctor Who villain. Uh, I can see where you got that from, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't think of any specific villain that that would definitely be. General vibe. But just a George general vibe, yeah. Yeah. He definitely looks like he's on his way to a Doctor Who audition. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> with a very specific vision of how his doctor's going to look. I mean, the quality of monster that we see at the end is about Doctor Who level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, honestly, uh, that offended me more than the torture the, or the, the abortion. The 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 effect the at the end, fucking terrible, goofy monster. Well, it is a monster from Japanese mythology. True, it we'll is, get to it. We'll get to it. But anyway, uh, I again, I know Billy Drago mostly from the Untouchables. Uh, they establish that Billy is from America by having once the characters ask him, "Don't all you Americans fuck horses? Why are you going to have sex with ladies?" No, he said. I heard all you Americans were hung like horses. I had the closed captioning on. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. No, wow. That's uh, pays to listen, I guess. Yeah, that's. Uh, I thought he said, "Don't you Americans fuck horses?" Because they're all cowboys. Wow. So you were, gotcha. Yeah. But you were just thrown into this idea of horse fucking right away. Right and, away, so and yeah. and immediately I was on board. Uh, <laughs> So the first moment where I knew I was in over my head comes extremely quickly. Yeah, this gets fucked up real fast. Real fucking fast. They're in a boat, and they suddenly run into something. What could it be? Turns out, it's the bloated corpse of a pregnant woman. A very, very pregnant woman. Pale, bloated, obviously been in the water for a while, floating by. They just push it away with their oar. Yep complaining about it and then they just go move on mm-hmm. billy drago takes off his hat he's the only one who seems to give a shit everyone else is just like ah eh, what a what a piece of shit getting in our way and this corpse is a horror to look at yeah it's it's uh, very pale it's very most of the time in american things in horror movies where they have dead bodies in the water the dead bodies stay mostly un affected by the I complained water. about that in Necronomicon. Sure. Yeah, 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 exactly. The, the the dead body they might make them look a little bit pale. Yeah. But otherwise the the worst you get is from that scene in Lord of the Rings where there are all those dead people in the marshes and those all those for Brad who has not seen Lord of the Rings, all those people look like more traditional zombies where they're like more like they're pale but they're very thin and bony. This is the opposite. This is a very, I assume, realistic corpse. I haven't seen many people decompose in the water lately. But she's she's bloated. The water has absorbed into her skin. Again, she was uh, ready to pop when she was killed. Yes, very, very pregnant. Very pregnant. And she's just floating there. And, uh, yeah, immediately I was like, oh, God, I've made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> but it's too late. <laughs> so let's let's just keep watching. Uh, one interesting thing I, I noticed, I, I don't know why I wrote this note down here, but, uh, throughout this episode, the main people who suffer, with maybe two exceptions, but the main people who suffer are women. Yes. And there was a review that I watched on, that I, I did not watch, I read online very briefly, uh, when I was just alone in this hotel room trying to make sense of what i just seen, was someone said... Takashi Miike has been accused of sexism throughout his entire career, and they said that they considered this episode the apex of his sexism. I didn't finish reading the review because I didn't really care what they thought of the episode. I just wanted to know more background about why it happened. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what their (gasps) argument was about why it was sexist. (laughs) 
what? You were just searching for a reason about why it happened. Like, yeah, I was looking like, for background, like, what like the fuck what, is this? What could compel a man to do such yeah, a what's, thing? Yeah, what's wrong with you, Takashi Miike? But, uh... Uh, <laughs> uh Google, uh, Alexa, why are there horrors? <laughs> Alexa, why can't I close my eyes? Um... Uh, but yeah, uh, Alexa, why are we damned with knowledge? <laughs> why are we damned with the ability to conceive things? Takashi Miike, Alexa, Alexa, where is God? God is dead. <laughs> Thanks, Alexa. That's what I thought. Well, it has to be true. It came from Alexa. Anyway, uh. So I'm not sure what the argument was of him being sexist, but he, there is a lot of women in pain in this. Yes. And I genuinely, I, I again, this is the first Takashi Miike project I've ever seen. I do not have any kind of background in his other work. I know that Steven has told me previously that his other works contain even more fucked up shit than this, but I have no idea. Would you consider this to be a sexist piece, or would you consider this to be more like Blue Velvet, where sexist things happen in it? But it's not justifying them. It's just saying, "Hey, horrible shit happens to women. Be woke, y'all." Because my my opinion tends to actually. You go first. I I could see Mike being misogynistic. Sure. It is the, kind of a problem in Japanese culture. The other problem is that, especially in torture stuff. Women are usually the targets, at least from what I understand uh, and the little bit I've seen. Yeah, generally women are the targets. That's the genre. Whether mm -hmm. that is a function of misogyny within the genre or within the creators, I don't fucking know. Right. But I can definitely see, based on what I've seen of Ichi the Killer, which I only got through like half of, and sort of got tired of it. I. I went in thinking it would be one thing. Mm -hmm. I need to go back knowing it's different, and I can probably enjoy it more that way. Judge it on its own merits rather than your expectations. Yeah, and just what I know of his other work. There's no misogyny in Phoenix, right? Oh, good. I can tell you that. Okay, good. So I don't know, but it's possible, and I could definitely see it. Mm -hmm. And But again, it's I don't know. It seems to be the genre. I, I think you're probably right. My my takeaway from this was just I think he was just trying to scare people and he was just showing showing nasty shit yeah. and the nasty shit is happening to women in the story. Uh, and again, that might that's more it seems more like a sexist element of the torture porn genre. I think it's also for the genre, it's this idea that women are more vulnerable and more pure. So that which when is you, a sexist idea. Which is a sexist idea, but it's not coming from a place of like, yeah, let's hurt women. It's like, yeah, this is worse because it's happening to a woman. Right. So, like, the movie The Room, uh, obviously much worse movie than this, but uh, there's a real sense in the making of that movie, not only when you look up the making, but just watching the movie, that... Tommy Wiseau has a problem with women. Yes. I don't get that sense from this movie. I get a sense of, this is what's scary to people. Yeah. And uh, so if there is sexism in this, it's my opinion at this time that it's accidental. Okay. But uh, it's just something that I saw brought up, so I thought we would mention it. Sure. Uh, it was something that I was thinking about while watching it, too, especially in the latter half. 
Sure. There's a lot of domestic abuse. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, but we, we can talk about that when we get there. As they arrive, there's a song being sung in Japanese, which you think at first is uh, non-diegetic, but it is actually occurring within the universe of the film, and it's being sung by a blind woman with uh, Geordie LaForge eyes yeah. from Star Trek. They're uh, that milk white that's always... Indicates blindness. Yeah. She's playing a shamisen. Again, like, almost every frame of this has some element, whether it's necessary or not, meant to unsettle you. Exactly. And this yeah. is where I first noticed that, because it's it's this fucking beautiful unreality. The the blind shamisen player, her hair is this unnatural purple, her face is several, several shades darker than the rest of her body. It's sort of like mm. a tan. Yeah. Uh, kind of a light brown, and sure, just her... Blind gaze, and like you said, the milk white eyes, right. the irises. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's yeah, the episode is literally it literally functions as a, as like a circus freak show. And we're told that this island is a place where only demons and horrors reside. And yes, it, it's it seems to which be, turns out to be literal later. Yeah, yeah. This seems to be and that unreality. It's very dreamlike all throughout. And I yes, fucking loved it so much. Yeah, and he. I think that uh, I can say categorically, Mike. Uh, absolutely knocked it out of the park when it came to recreating the feeling of a campfire story. Yeah. This has the same kind of, like, sort of magical realism as the the, the hook-hand guy with the car story or something like that. Although, a little bit more fucked up than that story. <laughs> so, uh, Billy Drago comes in. You said his name was Christopher? Mm-hmm. All, right, all my notes, he says, uh, all my notes were written with his name as being Billy Drago, so I'm going to go back to Billy Drago a couple times. And also, Billy Drago is just an awesome name. Oh, yeah. No. It's fucking incredible. It should be the name of a villain in a kung fu movie It or should something. be... There should be multiple Billy Dragos. There's like, Billy Drago <laughs> supervillain, Billy Drago uh, street fighter, oh Billy Drago porn star... <laughs> Billy Drago's Space Adventurer. Oh my god. I, I would absolutely fund an anthology series called The Adventures of Billy Drago, where every episode, the context around Billy Drago has changed. Now he's like a Flash Gordon type, and now he's... <laughs> but he's still playing it like Billy Drago, so he's just like, I'm gonna defeat the Zoltan army from the planet Cubone, but first I gotta lie down. God damn you alien scum! <laughs> God, God damn you! Oh no, Butch Cassidy robbed the branch one more time. I'm gonna have to go and kill him, but so many things. So many things. Anyway, Billy Drago is a, is a treasure. I have a need <laughs> for speed! <laughs> One episode is just like a, 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 a sweet love story. There's just like nothing nothing sinister or action-packed about it at all. It's just like a straight romantic drama starring Billy Drago. <laughs> Billy Drago, who should have played Tommy Wiseau in The oh Disaster Artist. Oh my god! That would have been so much better. Why so? He would have, and he would have just played this Billy Drago yeah, again. <laughs> it would have worked perfectly. <laughs> That's why he's so fucking entertaining. I did not hear. I did not. Is bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, oh hi, Mark. Mark. <laughs> if he ever did do a love story type movie, it would be the most sinister love yeah. story ever. Unfortunately, made. he's passed away. 
Oh, is he? Yeah, he died oh, in that 2019. sucks. That's in 2019, so he just mm-hmm. missed yeah. the great ride that 2020 has been. When Billy Drago checked out, that's when we should have known. <laughs> exactly. That's when we should have known. Um, so, yeah, uh, the prostitutes are kept in cages where they beg the passing Johns mm-hmm. to pick them. And they're they're sort of they're sort of shot and like it's a little bit slower. It's, it's a little a little bit of slow motion. A little you know? uh although the sound is still going at regular speed. Yes. So you can understand but, what they're saying. And it's part of the dreamlike quality. It's mm-hmm. this unrealness. Yeah. And they're not it is it is important to say they're not shot sexually. No. They're, they're not shot in a um a manner to titillate, which is a, one of the main problems with Masters of Horror is that way too many of the directors were horny when they were working the camera. Yeah. Uh, so they had to operate the cameras a little one-handed. This episode, the the prostitutes are just framed as desperate prostitutes. Yeah. Like, they're just... It's, and mostly it's, they're in robes, kimonos, I'm assuming. Yeah. Uh, and they're not all horrors, either. There's not, there's not like, a horror element to each of their no. looks or anything. Although... Immediately after this scene, he is confronted by one of the people who runs a place who's a little woman, a uh, little person woman, with a bird skull on her head and a syphilis rotted away nose. I believe it's a man. Oh, is it a man? Yes. Oh, I thought it was a woman. And then the woman is the one with the ring. I did know that there was a, the woman with the ring, but I thought that was also a woman. I guess it's a man, but yeah, nose is rotted away from syphilis and also fucked up teeth. Yeah. And speaks in sort of a high-pitched voice. Yes. And again, fucking... I... It's a shame that little people, dwarves, whatever you want to call them... Yeah. ...are used as shorthand for strangeness and yes. weirdness, a.k.a. Terry Gilliam-ing. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> That's a good point. But or, again, it's... And David Lynching, too. David Lynching. Yeah. But here it's more of a red room quality, where it's not like... It's more this idea of... And maybe this is just insulting, but sort of like a fey folk aspect, where it's like yeah, it's it's more like they're. A it's of. not weird because this is a human who looks different. It's weird because this is something from another plane. Although the syphilitic nose is definitely a this is weird because it looks different. True, element. but if you can recognize it as a syphilitic nose, yeah, then it's like it's. I don't know. It adds to. Also, they're picking bits out of their nose while they're talking to Billy Drago, which yeah. is, you know, awful. <laughs> and But it, it's still just a wonderful little detail yeah. that adds to the nightmarish aspect. Yeah, no, this, this uh, Takashi Mige has no shame. He will make you feel unsettled by hook or by crook. And if he has to parade blind people and little people in front of you to do it, he will do that. No shame involved. Do you think that actress was actually blind? Oh, I doubt it. I yeah. think that was those were probably uh, contacts, but still, if I was a blind person, it would make me feel kind of shitty that I was being used as a freak show element. Uh, and think. again, I can't speak for them, but right, it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like. Hey, look at the freak! Yeah, it feels like it feels like. Oh, that's this not is what a I was place expecting. where things are out of the normal. Mm-hmm. It's a place where people like this belong, I guess. Right. And unfortunately, it's on Horde Demon Island. Yeah. (laughs) Horde Demon Island. Uh, So, whenever something like this comes (laughs) up, 
I'm sorry. Okay. I just I was looking at my notes. Okay. And there's a note that just says "God damn." <laughs> And I was like, well, what the fuck is that referring to? Because I don't take notes like that. Yeah. Then I realized it's God. Damn! <laughs> Little Billy Drago. But before we move on from this this freak show commentary, there's something I always remember. It's from a movie. I have not seen the whole thing, but I saw a, a clip from it when I was researching the career of Peter Dinklage. It's a movie based on his own uh, attempts at making it in Hollywood mm. as a little person. Is that the correct term these days, little person? Or? I'm not sure. I have no idea. But uh, as 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 a little person, and he and he's doing this dream sequence in a movie where he's the little person in the dream sequence, and he gets at mad and starts swearing at everybody as only Peter Dinklage can, <laughs> and he's just it's like, oh look, a little person! I must be fucking dreaming. <laughs> <laughs> and I I always think of that whenever something this topic comes up. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So anyway, Billy is looking for this girl, Kamomo, who, as we talked about in the intro, he reveals in a little bit that he he fell in love with her, and for some reason she was sold to this brothel. He had to do something. He was going to go to make his fortune, I think, is what he He would says. come back for her. Yeah, but when he came back for her, she had been sold, so he's been tracking her down for all this time. He asks... The little person, uh, if they've ever heard of her. No, never heard of anyone with that name. But you can't leave the island anyway, so why don't you stay? I'll give you a good price on a girl. And there's one girl who hasn't been grasping at the bars of the cage. There's one girl who's who's been sitting in the back. One woman, I should say, because that's what she's credited as, woman. Uh, one woman in the back who's just been sitting in profile. It's a beautiful shot. Oh, yeah. So fucking good. Yeah. It's very art over logic, but that's this whole episode. She's in silhouette against a red mm-hmm. background. It's beautiful. So he decides to go with her for essentially no other reason than the plot has to get going. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he says later it's because she he was interested because she wasn't reaching out like all the rest. Right. She stood out because she was a little bit different. Uh so yeah, Billy tells the audience's backstory throughout the the episode. I don't know what it means, but we see a lot of images of pinwheels, uh, and they're usually related to Komomo, but not always. Yeah. So I don't know what that's about, but it's I'm there. I'm not sure. It's it's an element they chose to include. That was a choice that someone made. Well, one point when woman is recalling her true past, yes, or one of her pasts. Wouldn't she plant a pinwheel every time they threw out a fetus? I believe that is part. That is, yeah. yeah. So maybe, maybe it's just an association with death, or yeah, maybe the spirit. Maybe so. If so, they really played the long game with that one. The woman comes in to Billy Drago's uh, room, uh, the area he's supposed to be sleeping in, and she comes in and, and tells him. Uh, I am yours tonight, you can do whatever you want with me. And it turns out, part of the reason she was sitting in that pose was because the other side of her face is disfigured. And this is fucking great makeup. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I fucking love this so much. The makeup and the effects in this episode are uniformly fantastic. And it's, especially when she has on her white pancake makeup, Mm -hmm. it's so understated but effective like it's, yeah it's not a lot they went just far enough 
and later we see more of it with her without the makeup. It's it's a bit more. Yeah. But to start off, it's and they do an interesting thing where she's sitting in sort of three quarters profile for most of the of this scene. Yeah. With her deformed side on the to the camera. Right. But there are a few strands of hair that are loose and obscuring it. So we're shown it and then it's obscured. So in our minds we're sort of like going like I saw that, right? Like I, I Right, yeah. How like it was pretty gnarly, wasn't and then we see it again, it's not as bad, but then Mm-hmm. And then it, it gets worse later. It's, it's very interesting choices. Uh, other directors would just go like Bam, look at this. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, that's sort of a more in line with the Masters of Horror ethos, where it's like, this is look at this, look at this freak, look at this freak. Yeah, exactly. So he asks her why she was hiding and not asking for Johns, and she says she hides because she's afraid of the lost souls, and then leaves that without actually explaining it. Yeah. And then points behind Billy Drago and says. Look behind you! There's one there! There's one there! Billy Drago looks, there's nothing there. He looks back at her. She laughs a little bit. And then says, I've always related more to dead people than living people, as if it's a new topic. And I am... What? What the fuck was that? That was like the campfire scene in Wild at Heart. Like, what the hell? That's the sort of scintillating conversation (laughs) I try to maintain with my... Employees at my brothel. <laughs> I train them. I train them uh-huh. in the art of discourse like that. <laughs> the art of non sequitur. The art of like just revealing uh, super weird truths about yourself. <laughs> I relate more to dead people. I think cars are sexy, and I mean I'm sexually attracted to cars. <laughs> Or uh, another good icebreaker is, hey, I have a lot of latex gloves back at home. I mean, I it, does it work? Is it a good business model? Well, I made $6,000 so far. <laughs> like, was that just for my hour with Lola Bunny? With Robot Lola Bunny? Yeah, which, by the way, you killed her. <laughs> so <laughs> She killed herself, excuse me. True, but try proving it in court, asshole. <laughs> In court, she was a robot. I'm she suing you have for I'm suing you for damages. <laughs> you can't prove nothing. I didn't you, even touch her. My robot was not aware she was a robot. She thought she was the real Lola Bunny, which is something you could have informed me of before you, going on a dinner date with her. You could have asked. I took her to Perkins. I know, and she probably would have loved it if she could eat human food. <laughs> See, it's a good thing we didn't get to even the first course because I didn't know she couldn't eat human food. You need to give me this shit. Well, she tell me a... this shit. All right. Well, I'll tell you what the next one. I was gonna feed her carrots. The woman asks Billy Drago what he means to do if he finds Komomo. So she heard the conversation with the little person, and apparently she knows Komomo because mm-hmm. she she talks to her. She talks about her as if she knows her. And Billy Drago says, Oh, I'm gonna... I'm gonna hug her and kiss her and squeeze her so tight in the name of George. (laughs) That's almost exactly what he says, though. But, uh... Smooches. Smooches! (laughs) And she says, Poor Komomo. (laughs) 
Poor, poor Komomo. Poor Komomo. Not sure if she's talking about the idea of being uh, smooched by Billy <laughs> Drago or about what she's about to say. Oh, you're not into Billy Drago? I guess I should put that lady away. <laughs> you had a lady that looked like Billy Drago? I had Billy Drago. You said he was dead. That was a cover story. <laughs> Billy Drago, secret slut, coming to NBC this fall. <laughs> Me so horny. <laughs> I need it. I need cock. Oh, Billy Drago. Your desperate need for cock knows no bounds. At this point, she says, poor, poor Komomo, and she, she tells Billy Drago, Komomo is dead. She hung herself. And at this point... Uh, it's not clear because she never says anything about Komomo that we don't already know about aside from things that happened to her but she doesn't say anything about her personality that Billy Drago wouldn't already have some sort of internal bias towards Yes. so it's not clear if anything that happens in the story aside from a few details that are confirmed happens to Komomo or if this is all a giant troll from this character. Because we know from the, oh no, look at the lost soul behind you. She's kind of a prankster. Yeah. She's a bit, she's got a twisted sense of humor. Base, and it's also a bit of a twist ending at the end, but still. Just going on the cliche yeah. of how these Rashomon, well, with Rashomon there's no clear answer. answer. But with, I assume, again, I've not seen it. Okay. Um, or read the story. Right. These kind of... Because this isn't just a Rashomon story. Other people have done this thing where it's like, I'm telling you a lie. I'm still telling you a lie. All right, here's the truth. Sure, Unusual Suspects is a a big example. The cliche is that the final thing you're told is the truth. Right. That's what you go with. But again, it's also the unreliable narrator. Is anything true? Right. It's... Eventually, she, I guess, our supposition is she has no no reason to lie. Sure, sure. But she still lies for a majority of the film. Yeah. And she had no reason to at that point either. True. So all I'm saying is that she's she's a bit of a she's a bit of a prankster. She's a bit of a funny one. I guess I just believe in the strength of the human spirit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's bullshit. <laughs> you know that I think that people are good. <laughs> Just inherently. Just off the fucking cuff. There's a pure pure light of goodness in, that, in every human being. <laughs> anyway, uh, so the girl says that Komomo did hang herself and that she it was a year ago because she couldn't stand to wait for her great love any longer. And Billy Drago does not take this well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As we have been imitating throughout yes. this episode so far. God damn it! God damn! Yeah. Oh my god. He's, he's my, freaking out. My note? Maybe Billy Drago isn't the best actor. No. <laughs> Entertaining as fuck to watch. Oh, absolutely. Almost this entire exchange, by the way, is done in like one take, one shot. Yeah. Uh, so all of his reactions are <laughs> immediate. It's not they. They didn't cut around it. They, there was no looking for the best take. Yeah, this is just, just all 
just this full uncut Billy Drago. Mike knew to just let Billy Drago go. <laughs> Billy Drago is Ronco Wheel. You said it and you forget it. Bill, Billy's about to storm out, and this is where the line that we referred to earlier comes in. The girl tells him, you can't leave. We're not in the human world. Only demons and horrors are outside. Which is also somewhat foreshadowing yes. for the ending. Now, do you remember how you were feeling up to this point? Up to this point, I was uh, engaged, certainly. Mm-hmm. It was It's very well made, as we've said many times. I was laughing my ass off at Billy Drago. <laughs> but I was enjoying him, because yeah. like, he's very entertaining. And I was I I was nervous. I I was a little nervous because of the dead body from earlier. And I was like, where else is this gonna go? And I I knew what Mike's reputation was as a fucked up dude. But I had this sort of general assumption that whatever it was, it's probably not that bad. I could handle it. Cause you know, humorous. Our poor little Icarus. Yes. <laughs> Flying too close to the very gross sun. So she she tries to calm him down by asking him what he loved about Komomo, to which he responds, So many things, so many things, so many things, so many things. And then he, he flops over and says, I suppose she reminded me of my baby sister. <laughs> I don't know if what the opposite of a red flag is, <laughs> but whatever you call it, it's that. <laughs> the opposite of a red flag? <laughs> you want a man who tells you you remind him of his baby sister. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Uh, I, I wrote down, yikes. And then he clarifies, oh, my dead baby sister. <laughs> Bonus point. <laughs> if, if, Marry this man. If I've learned anything, propose to him. If I've learned anything from the plot of Vertigo, this is this is green light all the way. Yeah, <laughs> green light all the way. Uh, so Billy lies down and almost immediately conks out. We fade out, fade back. He's had a big day. He's had a big day. He's had a lot on his plate. He wakes up and, and he finds that she's still awake fanning him because it's a hot day. He He's about to fall back to sleep. Oh, well, well he, looks, he looks up at the girl first. Just the connection of it being hot. Yeah. Maybe wondering how, had me wondering how I could mesh this up and do the right thing. There's just a lot of different races of prostitutes. Billy Drago. <laughs> Billy Drago grabs a trash can, says, <laughs> Tell me the truth! Throws <laughs> it through a shoji panel. Hey, why aren't there any American prostitutes on this wall? <laughs> and Komomo does get strangled, much like Radio Rahim. It does. That is very true. Komomo's what sets off the, the whole thing. But uh, so Billy, Billy's lying down. He looks up over the girl's so- shoulder and sees what appears to be the grudge, or at least what I know of the grudge. I didn't notice uh, this part. over her shoulder. You didn't notice it. It's, it's no. a very there. It's 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 essentially a jump scare, but there's no. <laughs> so like you would uh, be forgiven for completely not noticing it. But he looks over her shoulder and he sees what appears to be like the grudge. It's it's a. Uh, Japanese actress doing that Japanese ghost face that they tend to make in those movies. Okay. He blinks, it cuts back to it, she looks over her shoulder, there's nothing there. Could it have been his little sister? 
Because uh, we see her at the end. It could have been his little sister. It, it did not look like that to me. Okay. But I don't know. It could It could have been. And again, I could not find a lot of behind-the-scenes info about what was behind the decisions made uh, <laughs> in this film. He says maybe it was too much sake. Did we pass the wonderful, beautiful shot of a bare tree against the gray sky with the ribbons in it? Yes, we did. That, okay. That appears when she says that she was that she hanged herself, and that they 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 buried her. We see this tree multiple times. Yeah. And it's again, Mike is clearly a skilled filmmaker, and mm-hmm. it's it's so gorgeous. Yeah. It's it's a pretty it's a pretty nice shot. There's for as much as this movie is about the horrors of flesh. Yeah. Even though it's not a really a body horror movie, it's a torture it's movie. It's a torture born. Yeah. But it's it's again, the horrors of flesh. There's a lot of beautiful framing and shot composition and yeah. he he knows what he's doing. He knows what obviously. he's doing. He's he's a good filmmaker, which is, you know, just makes the the horrible bits more horrible because he knows how to show it. And he's very affecting. Also, at one point, I don't know if we passed this okay. either. Christopher mentions that he's a journalist. He asks her for a bedtime story, right? And he, and she says, "Oh, people don't usually want to talk to uh, prostitutes. They they just want to hear." She she keeps using the word whore, but that makes me uncomfortable to say. So I just keep saying prostitute. Yeah. But she people don't usually want to hear our stories, and he's like, "I'm a journalist. Listening to people's stories." is what I do, and even if I didn't, I'd want to know yours, because, you know, he got a fucked up face. Billy Drago? Yeah. Actually started off as a journalist. Did he really? Yes. Wow. Okay. That's fun. And then he got into radio, and through radio, he got into theater and acting. Well, good for him. Good for him. I'm good. <laughs> Billy Drago's had an interesting life. Yeah. Yeah. And now he's working at your brothel. Yeah. <laughs> Still interesting, I think. I think so, yeah. Sorry it's not as interesting as your workplace. <laughs> no, very interesting. Speaking it's, of it's which, a new adventure for him. Speaking of which, let's bring out the next round of uh, Oh, you got more. Of okay. employees, yeah. Okay. All right. Now, the first one uh-huh. is a cardboard cutout of Laura Croft promoting Tomb Raider 3. Okay, okay. Well, nice to meet you, ma'am. Nice to meet you too, Billy. Oh, you've been working on your uh, ventriloquism. That was her talking. Oh, oh, sorry. She's possessed by the ghost of Anastasia, the Russian princess. (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah, maybe I should have led with that. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe you should have led with that. Yeah, I can see the fire in your eyes. Yeah, yeah. But watch out. Because number two... Live from hell, comics legend Stan Lee. Oh, man! Hi, Stan Lee! Hello! Hello! Excelsior! Are you ready to get fucked, True Believer? (laughs) Or you can fuck me! Man, I'll get to be in the same class as Jack Kirby. I ejaculate maggots! (laughs) Somehow I'm not surprised, Stan. (laughs) Who's number three? And the third choice is an Arby's. That I'm a franchisee for. <laughs> you just have an Arby's? Yeah. <laughs> if you take one of my other employees to the Arby's, you also have to you have to pay for both. And let me tell you, brother, 
a lot of these ladies are hungry for Arby's. Oh, I have $12,000 to spare. I was going I mean, to invest... $18,000 with uh, Lola. Oh. <laughs> Plus damages from the lawsuit impending. I'm not paying for that shit. Well, we'll see in court. <laughs> but I, I have a lot of money left over. I was going to invest in my future. But I think the best way for me to spend my time is to go on a date with Anastasia in the body of a cardboard cutout of Lara Croft at a goddamn Arby. <laughs> this is... This is some really stupid shit right here. <laughs> Gotta be honest with you. Really thought you were gonna choose Stan Lee. Wasn't prepared for this. <laughs> but, uh, let's go to Arby's. Let's go to Arby's. <laughs> okay. What, what would you like to eat, Anastasia? I would like ten pink beef and cheddars. <laughs> Please pick them up with your very strong arms, Billy. Well, here, here you go, your highness. I was shot by communists. <laughs> oh, dear. I thought that you got away from the communists. That's what I learned from watching that historical documentary, Anastasia. Do you like my cardboard body, Billy? It's pretty nice. I mean, I'm... I would take off my clothes, but it's a painting. <laughs> oh, this is a painted cardboard cutout. Kiss me. Kiss me in the Arby's, Billy. <laughs> in front of everybody. <laughs> oh, Anastasia. Propose to me, Billy. Anastasia. Take me away from this life. Anastasia. Anastasia Jolie. <laughs> that is not my name, and now I'm offended. <laughs> oh, no. I charge you double. Goodbye. Oh, no. And I take the cardboard cutout <laughs> off on a dolly, and you owe me now $24,000, I believe. Oh, no. And I got so carried away, I was so in love with Anastasia Jolie. Don't call her that again. It's very <laughs> insulting. She's a person. Yeah, but technically she's, she's a ghost and a thing. <laughs> but you combine those two things together and you have a person. <laughs> sure. Is this our weirdest episode? It's our dumbest. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, Billy Drucker. I'm going to assume this is a reaction to the extreme. I'm helping you through your trauma. I think you are. <laughs> I think so. Uh, Billy Drago asks to hear the girl's story. So the girl tells him she had a sickly father and a midwife mother who were very poor, but they loved each other so, so much. Mm -hmm. They lived in a little village, uh, and uh, she was born with, a, with her deformity. But uh, even though she didn't have a lot of friends, she had one Buddhist monk with a speech impediment who was friends with her and taught her about the concepts of heaven and hell. Mm -hmm. As all friends should. Right, yeah. That's the basis of our friendship. Yeah. We just tell each other facts about heaven and hell. That's, that's entirely correct. When the, pod, when the microphone is not on, we just like recite Dante's Inferno to each other. Fact. Yeah. Heaven... Only has DSL. It does not have Wi-Fi. Mm, mm, mm. Fact. Hell. Hell is for children. I believe that. Children yeah. are dicks. They are. They're little monsters. We just grew closer while you were listening to that. <laughs> uh, 
So anyway, her father uh, died from his disease. <laughs> he walked into a river. He walked into a river. He, he didn't made want to be river a, suicide. Didn't want to be a bother anymore. He said, "Just, <clears throat> just let the stream take me away." <laughs> <laughs> and he royally fucks it up too, because in, in the next cut, he's just lying there in the middle of the river, yeah. right in front of their house. He didn't get carried away or anything, so they still had to deal with the body. Yeah. Uh, as soon as the dot. This is bigger than the ones we usually deal with. <laughs> So as soon as the dad dies, the mom decides, oh, well, even though the dad was concentrating on our finances and our situation hasn't really changed at all, I suddenly can't financially take care of you, so yeah. I'm going to sell you into sex slavery. <laughs> that was a little, that, that should have been a tip-off, because it's like, dad yeah. didn't seem like a big earner. No, yeah. Dad was mostly bedridden, coughing up blood. Just constantly, like, she, the mom was the only one who was working, and even then... Uh, she makes a point of saying she only worked when she wasn't taking care of dad. Yeah, fucking coffee pops over there. Co- coffee pops. So she was sold into slavery. She was brought to the brothel. And the only bright spot in her life was Komomo. Sweet, yeah. innocent, pure, flawless pure. Komomo. Mm-hmm. Komomo would share her food with her when when uh, she was being punished. Because she couldn't earn money because right. of her uh, deformity. Spirit. Yep. And she was she was constantly Komomo was constantly mocked by the other prostitutes because she was the prettiest of them all and therefore got the most customers and the other prostitutes were jealous because that's how prostitution works. Komomo would also say things about how she was like a princess. Yes. And how she had a love that was gonna take her away from all this and everybody just wanted her to shut up so bad. You couldn't get a man as dreamy as Billy Drago. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Who do you think the modern-day Billy Drago is? Timothy Oliphant? (laughs) I think that's exactly correct. Little-known fact, Billy Drago was almost the original pick for Kyle MacLachlan's part in the original Dune, but he was not chosen because David Lynch decided he was too perfect for the part. Yeah, he is. Yeah, and that's that's why Timothy Chalamet has the uh, part now, because he's the new... When I think of the Maudit, yes, I think of Billy Drago. When I think of heaven, I imagine Billy Drago. Just a yeah. lot of Billy Dragos there. That's what I assume angels are. Billy Dragos. Billy Dragos. Mm-hmm. Um, that would have been very distressing for Mary. Billy Drago shows up. It's just like you're gonna have a child. Low unto this virgin. <laughs> Child is born. <laughs> Based on that impression, I think the modern Billy Drago was Christian Slater. <laughs> <laughs> this lady who's in charge of all the of all the the madam the ma- the madam, uh, she has a jade ring that is highlighted in a close up earlier in the film, and uh, the jade ring is stolen from her, and so she comes in and she starts questioning everybody, trying to figure out who took it. And it turns out some hair sticks were found at the scene of the crime that are Komomo's. And one of the girls says, of course, Komomo always wanted like that jade ring. So the implication is, is that the other prostitutes obviously framed her for yeah. this. In the background you hear a woman going, no, she never, she never said that she wanted that. Stop lying. Standing up for her friend. They decide to make her talk. Uh, because Komomo is, of course, saying, I didn't steal it, I'm pure as the driven snow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they take her up to an attic, they tie her up, 
and they start torturing her in a way so that they won't affect her looks and therefore not affect the profits that they make off of her, assuming that she lives through this. Which I disagree with, because I think putting all the shit into her gums and under her fingernails is gonna kind of, like... Yes. So, how much do we want to go into this? We'll just summarize it. Okay. Uh, Komomo is burned under her armpits with yes. incense. Yep. She has needles inserted onto under every single one of her fingernails. Yes. And also into her gums. Yes. She's uh, strung upside down. Yes. And she pees on herself. Yes. Yeah. I was wondering if that was piss or if it was something else. I assumed it was piss, but it was a lot. It was a lot, yeah. It was a lot. And after... they, When they're done, they don't take anything out. No, they just So when her. Komomo is in her room, she still has everything in her gums and yep. under her fingernails. She's just lying there with everything. And she's still tied up, too. Yes. I, um... What affected me... Because, like... We cut back to post-torture Komomo several times. And yeah. while it is disturbing, it is not it was not as disturbing for me as the initial uh, insert. Because the, the, sh the scene is shot in a way where every time you feel like it could reach a natural conclusion and we could have the thing that happens in American movies so often where we cut away and we just hear someone screaming in the background, every time you feel like that's about to happen, it just keeps going. Mm -hmm. It is, at the end of the day, not a very long scene. It no, feels much longer than you think it, it, it is, th than it actually is when you're watching it. But, and, and it, the, the meticulous nature with which the, the head torturer, who again is apparently, according to Amazon, played by the author of the original story, mm. takes each needle, looks at it, smiles, looks at the finger, and drives it very slowly in. Takes a needle, looks at it, drives it very slowly in. Every single one of... It's it's literally like a circus freak show where you have the people who put the, the staples in their face or something like that. Mm -hmm. You have the performer holding it up to the audience, as it, in this case, holding the needle up to the camera, and then turning it around and inserting it. This is where I realized... I already had realized that I was probably in over my head earlier, but this is where I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> this is, you know... Well, uh, and I don't know that this is really in the ranks of bravery, but kudos to you for sticking it out. Thank you. I mean, it's it's not, it's clearly not the same level of bravery as someone, you know, who's in actual danger. Yes. But it is, it was a personal victory for me to get through it and not, you know, turn it off. So, yeah, small victory, but still. Yeah, so she, she gets tortured a lot. Anyway, so she's devoid of hope, and she she's like, oh, Billy Drago will never come back for me. Uh, and she somehow, despite being tied up and having needles in her fingers, which I have to imagine hurts your ability to grip things, yeah. hangs herself. And is discovered by woman uh, as she comes up to sneak her food to repay the debt of her giving her food earlier yes. in the episode. Talking about how the torture scene just keeps going and keeps showing you every single thing that happens. I, I wrote a kind of a nasty note here. It said, if Mike had directed Reanimator, instead of... There's, a, there's an infamous scene in Reanimator that's not as bad as people remember it, where a severed head being held by its own body 
is held over the body of a naked Barbara Crampton, and he starts licking her all over, and then he's just about to go down on her when Herbert West enters the scene and starts an argument with the decapitated head about this being beneath him. Uh, because Herbert West is an asshole. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and it's been commented by other people in the past that that's the exact right place to stop that scene. Yeah. It's right before it gets truly horrible. And I wrote, if Mike had directed Reanimator, that head would have eaten out Barbara Crampton for two hours. He would have literally eaten her. He would have literally started eating her, like, full fully, and she would have just been... And we would have watched all of it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, we cut back to Billy, who is definitely not sleepy anymore. No. Uh, he is wide awake and very upset. And he can somehow tell, probably via the plot holes we pointed out yes. earlier, that uh, woman is lying to him. She is not telling him the truth. And he needs to know the truth. And needs to know he needs the truth. And she says, why don't people just accept happy lies? Why do, People don't really want to know the truth. They say that, but they don't. And he says, no, I, I really need to know the truth. And she says, oh, well, in that case, I killed Kamoma. <laughs> <laughs> if you really want to know. Sure. Yeah, fuck it, it was me. It was me. And it... it we, we cut back to the same scene as before, but in this time, instead of discovering her body already hung, she feeds Komomo some food, like baby bird style, by yeah, chewing it she, up and spitting it in. I think it's water. She puts some oh, water yeah, in her mouth that's and sort right. of snowballs it into her mouth over yes. the fucking needles. Yeah, through the yeah, because Komomo can't close her mouth. Which is... Well, the needles. Even with the grotesquerie of all the needle needles coming out of her gums, yeah, like uh, getting a little tangled in her hair, yes, this image of a woman letting the water drip from her mouth into the mouth of another yeah. is very striking. That's an incredible image. It is. It is a striking image. I will admit that. This is a lot of the images in this episode. Actually, she then takes the rope that's tying that's tied her up loops it around her neck and just garrets, is that the term? Mm -hmm. Garrets her to death while she's uh, screaming, silently screaming because she's choking yeah. with all the needles soaking out. Another very striking image yes. of her trying to get her voice out while being strangled to death by this uh, two-faced woman. When asked why she did that, woman says all the nice things about Komomo were true and Komomo considered her woman her best friend. So killing, being killed by a best friend while she was being the woman that she tr trusted most while after, in that pitiful of a state was the only way that she could make sure that Komomo would make it into heaven. It was the most pure way for her to die. Right. And it was the only decision that she's ever made of her own accord without any input from anybody else. Right, sis? There's a music cue there. And Billy Drago turns around and says... Wait a second. You're lying still. You're still lying. And she says, you're right. And then we get the final story. Turns out the entire backstory we were just given was a, was a complete fabrication. Her father and mother were homeless people. Yes. They settled up. They settled down in, in some hovel somewhere that they found that was abandoned. Uh, 
the mother was not a midwife, but was, one could say, the opposite. Yes. <laughs> and the, the town abortionist. The, the, the lady, the crazy lady on the outside skirts of town at the village girls, when they got in trouble, would come out and uh, get an abortion. Which from. is, again, as grim and as dark as that is, it's very clever, the inversion there. Oh, yeah. It is a clever twist. And once again, we see... All of it. Yes. We see every step of the abortion process. The only thing that they we are spared is a close-up of a bloody vagina yes. with a baby being pulled out of it. But we see nearly everything else. I want to briefly talk about the weird birth rope. Yeah, what the hell was that? Whenever a woman is giving birth or also apparently receiving an abortion... Yes. She is... Pulling herself up on a rope. Yeah. I have no clue what that is. I should have looked into it. it yeah, I should have looked into it, too. I, I'm assuming... I assumed it was a cultural thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but this is when I... The note that I mentioned earlier where I said uh, there's a fup sound effect that made me laugh. We see the main character's woman's birth. And when she is... So the mother is pulling herself up by this rope. And, and her, her legs open... And the baby comes out, and there is the most hilarious foop sound effect when the baby comes out. And uh, we then see her just throw the, the, the baby in the river. Why she didn't perform a self-abortion, I'm not sure. Maybe that's not a thing. I don't know how abortions work, honestly. I'm a little unclear as yeah. well. It's not exactly and a pleasant subject to spend an afternoon reading about. It's also, and this doesn't justify it, our ignorance, but also something we don't need to worry about. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. The rope, it seems to be called a birth support rope. It's a, it's a, a very straightforward name. Yeah. Yeah. I can't find any, like... But it's a real thing. Yeah, apparently I'm trying to find references to, like, it being used in Japan, but okay. I'm not really getting much of anything. But it's a fascinating detail. It is a fascinating, and it's also like a, an, an extra level of uncomfort. We're discomfort. also shown in the beginning that the woman pulling herself up on the rope yeah. was part of the birthing procedure when we were told that her mother was a midwife. Yeah. So no, when that... we see it again at the end, we assume like, oh, she's giving birth again, but now maybe it's part of the abortion process. Right, yeah. Her, her father was a drunk asshole. He would beat uh, her mother... M mercilessly she has does have a friend who is a monk and he did have a speech impediment but the reason why he told her about hell and heaven was because girls go to hell when they don't follow the orders of monks yeah and, and i was he rapes her here i was so excited that weird monk <laughs> was back oh yeah i was so excited i was like yeah he's back and then I went, oh and then, no! And then he starts fingering a little girl. Then he starts molesting a child. Yeah. And yeah. And that's on screen too. It turns out. And then the father rapes her too. Yes. He beats the mother and throws her out of the house. And the beatings. Oh my god. Are, were for me worse than the torture. I, I almost agree with you. Like, the, the, the torture is slower, yes. which makes it last longer. But the beating. Because you know so many women have gone through this. Yes. That's that, the thing. I think that was the thing for me. Because yeah. it's like... Yeah, the the torture I know, like... 
torture porn, like, yeah, this is a thing that, this is part of the genre, but... Right, yeah. This almost felt gratuitous for how real it was and, and how, how... how long it goes on for, yeah, again, the torture. consistently. Yeah. And it's, yes, yeah, it's like, at least two longer-than-you-feel-that-is-necessary scenes, but again, not very long in the, yeah. in, the, in the grand scheme of things, scenes of just this drunk fucker beating the shit out of this woman and throwing her out of his damn house... And then he goes back in, he looks at his, his daughter, and he's like, yeah, why not? And rapes the fuck out of her. That is mercifully held off screen. Apparently, we've, we found the line. Yes. For Mike is underage child rape with a dick. Fingering, that's fine. But dick rape, that's Now, I didn't okay. notice the fingering. I might have been taking a note at the moment. What? But... Okay, it doesn't, again, it doesn't show penetration. This is not pornography. But it... He stands up to her, he reaches back, and the little girl goes, <gasps> like, okay. it's, yeah, it's, okay. um... I think I was taking my oh no note at the time. It's pretty vile. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but... Oh no. Yeah, no, I literally just wrote oh no in all caps. And again, you don't make notes like that, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> that's my job. And it turns out, uh, just after the rape is revealed, that we've secretly been watching... Mike's remake of the horror classic Basket Case this whole time. Yeah. Uh, because. Oh, we really skimmed over how many fucking aborted feet. I know we mentioned it earlier. Okay, yeah. You see so many. You see so many fetuses. Aborted fetuses. Not only do they show an entire abortion, but like. So many fetuses. After every procedure, and we're not shown a lot, but we're shown this ritual after uh-huh in a wooden bucket they go out into the stream full of house. not just not just the fetus but all of the afterbirth yeah. and all of that oh I'm, i feel sick just talking about it with the umbilical cord oh my and God. every time they stand about ankle deep they pause and then they very deliberately it, well, I, I almost saw it as a careless thing, like, yeah. no regard, like, just, that's, like, that's what I meant. tossed into the rip, stream and walked it. away. Yeah. And we see so many. So many. And they're rendered, at least what I assume is very realistically. They look really well, they re look really good in that they look awful. <laughs> yes. And uh. there is a shot of an aborted fetus going downstream and slowly tumbling. Oh, God. And it's shot so I'm hesitant to say beautifully but there is a lot of tender loving care in this shot mm -hmm. and it's it's this unsettling fascinating image that the grotesquerie works with how beautifully it's being shot let me use the uh, quote that I saved from my friend who recommended this to me again he described this episode as a non-stop deluge of unpleasantness. Almost no plot, arguably no point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck is the point? Like, There's it, no it point. There's no point. Aside from just the torture of every single character. Yeah, it's just... It's just... It's hey, like Mike, look at this horribleness. It's like Mike created a hell for characters that he created solely. He didn't create, this was based off of a, this was uh, either, writers. either a traditional story or a novel, yeah. we're not sure. But it's like Mike just constructed a hell for these yeah. characters. Yeah, No, this is, this is hell. This is actual hell. Uh, 
<laughs> I'm, uh, but I got a little bit worked up there. Getting back to what you were saying. Yeah, so so the girl, the, the, the woman, has a conjoined twin growing out of her head. Parasitic twin. A parasitic twin growing out of her head that is, uh, that is just two eyes, a couple fingers, and a mouth with a top line of teeth that digs into her head every time it closes its mouth. And she's like a hand. It's like a hand. She's like the hamburger helper mascot. Oh my god, that's exactly what it is. If she were conjoined to someone's scalp. Yes, and you were not pleased with this effect? I fucking hated it. Oh, okay. I fucking loathed it. Really? It's so goddamn goofy. It looks like something out of a shitty 80s, like, Mm -hmm. real schlock C-grade movie. Like Basket Case. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I I thought it was a very well realized effect personally, and also I was just so because um, again you and I are not affected by horror the same way yes and especially not this one so I feel like maybe I was in it too much to call bullshit maybe yeah. well uh, it's there's no shame in being affected by a film sure yeah. And so, to me, I was just sort of like, well, here's another piece of gross shit I have to deal with. <laughs> I thought it was a very well-realized effect. It's definitely, it is, as much as I keep referring to Basket Case, it is definitely a better effect than Basket Case. Basket Case, the effect in that movie is just a, a, a flesh-colored turd with arms. But in the instance of something like Basket Case... Mm-hmm. Basket that's Case is supposed to be of, somewhat funny. Exactly. Yeah. That's part of the charm of the movie. Right. This is, again, the horrors of flesh, uh, uh, an actual hell for these characters. Yes. Um, it, it's just too goofy for me. It just felt like... There is a moment where it went over the line for me a little bit from... And again, maybe it's just because I've watched so many Guillermo del Toro films and I'm used to feeling empathy for weird monsters. There is a moment where we see woman as a little girl with her sis, as she calls her, her her parasitic twin, on her head, sitting there hanging out, and the parasitic twin is singing. Yeah. And that was a moment where, at the first time I watched it, I was like, should I feel empathy for this monster? And then the second time I watched it, it was like, hmm, this is kind of going over a line into some very silly territory here. Yes. Yeah. So I appreciate that. The singing I did appreciate. That's a nice character building moment. Yeah. But because the rest of the time the 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 little thing only goes. Yeah, anytime like a I had to see the fucking hamburger helper snaggletooth fucking hand <laughs> monster, I was like, this is goofy as shit, and yeah. it's undercutting all the the build up, the visceral horror that we've experienced. Right. So it turns out the reason why she has a parasitic twin is because her mother and her father were siblings. <laughs> and that's why they were homeless, because they were thrown out of their village for their sins. Which I feel is discrimination. I... <laughs> You're not about to defend. I'm going to do a march. <laughs> oh, God. No, <sighs> we're not doing that. We're not doing that. I'm not joining you on that march. Dada and Mama, justice. <laughs> Justice. Justice. <laughs> I'm marching for two fictional characters that nobody knows who the fuck I'm talking about. Yeah, brother and They're sister They're brother sex. and sister. They should be allowed to fuck. <laughs> They're not even real. Let them vote. Anyway, uh, after she was raped, the little twin started telling her, Kill your Kill daddy. Kill your daddy. 
Uh, so she goes out with a hammer and beats him to death. Shows him the twin, which apparently he didn't know existed. He dies in the river. Yeah. Just like he did in the flashback. There was that. So this, what this is coming from, this is not just a weird thing that came out of Mike's mind or the author's mind. This is a creature, and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. I'm sorry. Uh, Futakuchi Ona. At the top of the. Page. Yeah, you got it. Futakuchi Ona. Okay. Futakuchi Ona. Uh, which is essentially just a woman with two mouths. The original myth, this is from Wikipedia, the second mouth often mumbles spiteful and threatening things to the woman and demands food. Talk about a second mouth to feed. <laughs> no, literally, that's, that's the idea. If it is not fed, it can screech obscenely because the woman. It, and cause the woman tremendous pain, which we do see in the episode. The, hair's, the woman's hair begins to move like a pair of serpents, allowing the mouth to help itself to the woman's meals, while no food passes through her normal lips. So just a fucking tapeworm. It's just a fucking tapeworm. The, sto- the main myth that this comes from, the second mouth is always revealed as the, as the twist ending in all the stories involving this creature, including this one. Uh, and the original story was, there's a skinflint who didn't want to pay for a wife... So he gets, he finds a woman in this a village who he hears never eats anything, and he marries her because he doesn't have to pay to feed her, only himself. But he finds that all of his food is going away. So one day he pretends to go to work, but he secretly hides. And while his wife is doing the housework, the back of her head splits open with a mouth, and her hair grabs all the food in the house and throws it into that mouth. Japan's traditional stories, yeah, especially their ghost stories, are yeah. so much better than <laughs> anything we have. They're pretty great. Imagine just that being part of your fucking culture, just like yeah. goddamn hair grabbing shit so your head mouth can eat. Right. Instead of Hansel, Hansel and Gretel, that's what you get. I mean, Hansel and Gretel's still pretty gnarly. It's, it's pretty gnarly, but come on. But it's still not a hair demon. It's a not hair a hair mouth demon. A hair mouth demon, yeah. But and back in the real world, back in the back real in, world, uh, the present. So in the in the present in the episode, the woman opens the hand on the side of her head, not without considerable pain, by the way, uh, and and opens up cysts to show her her hair becomes completely disheveled out of its uh, geisha hairstyle that she had going throughout most of the episode. The cysts is the one who coveted the jade ring. Yep. Uh, she forced her to steal it again by screeching. And this 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 sis is not hungry for food like most of these uh, creatures are. She wants are. things. She wants things. She wanted the pretties. Much like Madonna, she's a material girl. She is a material girl. But it was still her, the woman, who chose to blame Komomo and kill her. And, yes. And, because, again, she wanted her to get into heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, because she knew already that she was damned to hell. Uh, so you believe the heaven aspect of it? You don't think she just wanted to kill her because she's a fucking crazy handhead lady? I don't know, and I don't really care. But that is the reason that she gives. Fair enough. Yeah, I think I am more confused about what happens next than anything else in the movie. Yeah. So Sis starts talking in Komomo's voice and telling Billy Drago that she... That he didn't come in time for her, but it's okay because he wouldn't have been good for Komomo anyway. Because she knows his secret. That baby kid sister he was talking about, he killed her. Yeah, it's also implied that he might have molested her as well. Yeah, it definitely is. Well, at least they did something that she's told that she, he told her not to tell about. Yeah, and then he killed her anyway. 
So it might be that he molested her. That's definitely the direction this episode would go in. It might be that he ran a Ponzi scheme. It might be that he, he ran a Ponzi that he was selling LuLaRoe on the side. Yeah. And he didn't want his parents to know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, apparent. But it's Mike, so, yeah, he definitely raped her. Yeah, so I was confused about this as well. I wasn't sure if the hand sis was, like, channeling these people. I don't fucking know. Or if she was just... Because how else would she know about the sister? At first, maybe I thought, with her being closer to the dead than the living, maybe it is a channeling thing. Yeah. Maybe she can channel spirits through there. Or maybe she's a demon and she's just fucking with people like an evil dead monster. Yeah. Or maybe she's just playing mind games somehow. Maybe she's right. playing three dimension, four-dimensional, five-dimensional, six-dimensional chess. Right. And the reveal about Billy Drago's character doesn't change anything that happened earlier in the episode. Not really. It doesn't really affect anything. I wasn't like, this man is a paragon of society. Right. I mean, he doesn't do anything wrong. Really, no. other than like his acting, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so as I as I as I noted down, it's implied he may have assaulted her. Whatever. <laughs> okay. Uh, wow, you've come a long way. Uh, at that point in the episode, yes, Billy pulls out a gun and he shoots her in the in the chest. He aims for the heart, Ramon, and like, no effect. My healing factor will overcome your bullets. <laughs> At which point I was saying, aim for the little head thing. Aim yeah. for sis. And he did. He heard you. He heard me, and he aimed for the head. He shoots her, and apparently he hits, but he hits the center of the forehead, and she does this backbend thing, which was pretty legit, and comes back up. But now, she's Komomo! Yeah. Happy ending! Lovers reunited! She comes back up and she's Komomo. What?! I don't understand yet. Either. I don't get. I don't know. I yeah. I I, I don't have no have idea. And it, it gets it, it gets weirder because she well first she reaches up to the hole in the back of her head that he's made and pulls out some of her brains and literally holds them up to the camera. Again, this is just a Takashi Miike taking us through a horror show. So mm-hmm. he, in probably the worst effect in the movie, she holds the brains up to the yeah. camera. And then she says, I waited for you, and falls over dead. Smash cut to Billy Drago's in jail for her murder. Oh, no. So it's not, so it wasn't an illusion, because there was a body for the police to find. Oh, yeah. And he's in jail now. Well, no matter, whether it was Komomo or not, he murdered somebody, whether it was woman or Komomo. Yeah, but... There was somebody there. I don't think he hallucinated the whole thing. What the fuck? Uh, so, so you think maybe she turned into Komomo just to fuck with him and then lay or, there pretending to be dead? Or maybe it was madness on his part where it was him seeing Komomo. Sure. It, like his guilt, like, I didn't come back soon enough, so I killed her. Thus, I'm symbolically killing her here. And this is where I say that, like Jeepers Creepers, nothing happens in this episode for a reason. I'd say this is the only part where that applies to. Okay. I I would argue that it kind of pervades the entire thing. I mean, it's ultimately a pointless exercise. Billy Drago doesn't learn a lesson. We're no. Not, there's no we, moral. We, we don't there's, learn a lesson. There's, uh, aside from watching Human Misery... Yeah. It's it's the equivalent of like running up to your mom with a handful of bugs and yeah. just being like, "Hey, look at this, mom!" Like that's 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 what the whole thing is. Uh, so Komomo was dead again. 
Sorry, go ahead. But to be fair, yeah. one, it looks fucking great. Oh, yeah. It's um, very well made. And it's a fucking hour-long short film for Showtime. Yeah. Yeah. Which Showtime didn't want. Yeah. <laughs> and Billy is sent to prison for her murder. There are a couple of guards who are very gung-ho about making his life miserable. He's given some food and a bucket of water. But when he looks into the bucket of water, he sees a fetus. Uh-oh. Uh, along with a bunch of blood and viscera in the bucket, and he decides to raise it and love it as his own. Is this a fetus I see before me? (laughs) (laughs) Billy Drago's version of Macbeth was also never aired for very similar reasons. I'd watch it. Uh, I'd watch it a hundred times. So he picks up the bucket and he holds it tight to him and he starts cooing and singing over it. And meanwhile, we see beside him, I assume the ghosts of, of his Kamomo. sister and Kamomo. Kamomo still has her pinwheel. She's blowing into it. Standing beside him. Not looking at him, just sort of hanging out. Yeah. Just sort of hanging out. I assume he's haunted by the people he killed whether sure. inadvertently although woman is not there so apparently he didn't kill her I don't well we know he didn't kill her because then at the end of the credits there we the credits fade into woman sitting in the same position she was next to him as when he woke up for that one time fanning an empty spot where he used to be and then she turns to the camera smiles and shrugs as if to say I don't know what the fuck just happened either hold on was that actually a thing? That's actually a thing. I didn't know there was anything. You after didn't the stay credits. to the end of the credits. No, why the fuck would I? Yeah, no, that that happened. It's a goddamn television show. Yeah, at the end, there's a post credit scene in in this particular television episode. Well, then, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> and she and like she's still got like part of her face fucked up, but she's like in her perfect makeup again and everything. She's she's perfectly put together. She just looks up. She looks directly into camera. She smiles. She shrugs slightly, and then we fade out. Sort of like Ferris Bueller. <laughs> it's like, go home. Yes. Get out of here, you crazy kids. And I wrote, she's saying, fuck you, audience. You make sense of this shit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't have answers. That's imprint. Yeah. Yeah. And it's left its imprint on me. Well, we're running along. Otherwise, we would have a third r- round of uh, <laughs> pick a prostitute. <laughs> Yeah, I laughed way too hard <laughs> during the second <laughs> round. <laughs> Most of this recording is just me losing my goddamn mind for yeah. one reason or another. But next week we're doing cigarette burns. I figured yeah. since we're doing one massive of horror, yeah. we might as well do the other. Sure. So look forward to that. I can't wait. I, love uh, I will love cigarette burns. See you next time. See you next time. <laughs>